As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell and welcome to The England Show from The Athletic. Coming up today, we start our build-up to the hotly anticipated clash between England and Scotland at Wembley on Friday. To help me do just that, I'm joined today by The Athletic's Dom Fifield and then Jordan Campbell and Kieran Devlin. Jordan and Kieran both write about Scotland and Scottish football for The Athletic, so it'll be them teaming up against Dom and myself. Dom's a senior writer at The Athletic with an eye on London football, but today he's going to be Team England. So let's reflect on how both nations have started Euro 2020 so far. Decent looking ball for Phillips. Got past one, then two, then plays it into Sterling! That will do nicely! It's only the first step, but it is a hugely significant step as England win their opening game at the Euros for the very first time. Entry, he might have a go, but it's blocked. And instead the break is on, and Schick! Oh, he's gone for the spectacular! That is absolutely stunning for Patrick Schick! One of the great European Championship goals! A big blow for Scotland. It's a reality check for Scotland. So, Kieran and Jordan in the blue corner. I'll come to you first. Kieran, I was actually just, we were just talking off camera. I was. I was quite surprised by how, how downbeat you were after that after that game. I actually thought there was a lot of positives for Scotland. I politely disagree. <laughs> they were quite unlucky, obviously. You know, they, I think, pretty much in every um, expected goals metric, they were better and there was, you could say, they were profligate in a lot of their chances. When you've just got uh, a wonder goal and then his header was superb as well from, from Schick. So the, it's quite hard to legislate again for those areas. But at the same time, I think the first tournament game in 23 years, even if we tried to be quite coy about it, if we were trying to be quite level-headed, even just subconsciously, we're building this up when this hope and expectation in the entire nation um, after after so long. And it just didn't quite uh, 
pan out as hope uh, as intended. I think obviously a lot of the stuff was self-inflicted and in a way you can break it down into three separate areas. There was the, the misfortune, there was the underlying problems that you can't really do much about. Like for all intents and purposes, there is a, a lack of international quality centre-backs at Scotland's disposal. And the third one is Clark's safe uh, tactical options. Now, Jordan, you were actually at the game, despite the, the bad things that happened in the result. How good was it for Scotland to be back in tournament football and how good was it to have the fans back there watching Scotland in an international tournament? Oh, I mean, it was brilliant up until uh, the Czech Republic scored. I mean, <laughs> the place was <laughs> the place was jumping before the, the game. Because, um, I mean, Hamden's developed this sort of reputation for not being a great stadium for the national team and it can be a bit sombre a lot of the times. But, I mean, that was the first time in years that I've seen, you know, the whole place was absolutely jumping and... Um, you could see the excitement like when, when I, I can Boogie came on you know you'd have thought the place was full um, with the sound of it but um, I the end of it you know everybody was quite quite down downbeat understandably because obviously that was the the game that a lot of people were pinning their hopes on considering the, the other two levels of the teams in the, in the group so no it was disappointing not to get, get the result and you know we, we pushed hard at the end but you know I think the frustration is that for the first half really when we did have the upper hand and Czech Republic weren't really coming out that I felt like, you know, we just went long so often. And I don't feel, I feel like we could have had much more of a better go at Czech Republic if we'd actually got on the ball and got it to our most creative players. But I guess we'll see on Friday whether there's a change of tack in that regard. But it was disappointing not to, not to come away with anything. But again, we were, we were unlucky, but there are all things that I don't think you can put it into bad luck. I think we did get it wrong in certain areas. Dom, on my side for, for this podcast, what are your memories of, of England, Scotland in the past, either as a fan or, or as a journalist? Have you got any, I mean, I think everyone's got the, the same memories as an England fan, but have you got any, any other memories other than Euro 96? Well, I've, I've, weirdly, I had the pleasure of covering both countries that did the national team. When I was living in the northwest of England, I, I covered sort of Bertie Vokes's tenure as Scotland manager, which which wasn't much but I mean look, I, I saw talking about Hamden I mean uh, James McFadden scoring the scoring the goal against the Dutch in the first leg of the playoff um, that that night will stay with me forever the the, the din of in, in that stadium and indeed in Glasgow for most of that night um, that, that was that was fairly special, but when it comes to England Scotland, when you know in, in recent years, I'm just looking now. I've, I think I've I think I've covered four matches, including games at Hampden and, and Celtic Park. Um, England won three one up there. I think a couple of years back in a in a friendly. Actually, it was quite it was a long longer. Oh God, I'm so old. Seven years back, it was they won that match. There have been awkward moments in those games. There was a there was a game at um, at Wembley, I think, in um, back in 2013, where I think Scotland had the lead twice and then ended up losing to Ricky Lambert's goal. Yeah, the Kenny Miller turn. That's right. That's the one. And then Ricky yeah, Lambert yeah. comes on and scores with virtually his first touch as an international footballer, probably one of his only touches as an international footballer. Um, and then most recently of all, the two-two. Up at Hamden as well in the summer of 2017 um, in World Cup qualifying, I guess that would have been. And, and again, Scotland thought they had that game won. And, and the, the noise that day with the two free kicks, absolutely stunning. Only for Kane to pop up with the with the equaliser in stoppage time. So they are memorable occasions. They're, they're feisty occasions. And 
I suspect that we'll still get that even with reduced capacity at, at Wembley this this weekend and uh, sorry yeah, on Friday night rather and and it's yeah it'll be special it'll be special it's, it's a shame that it can't be imagine if it was 90,000 down in there and this would have been incredible absolutely oh, amazing incredible but it'll still be a good noise yeah it's still going to be a monumental occasion on Friday Kieran have you got any memories of, of Scotland England in recent past the 2-2 game I remember very vividly it was when I was living in a, a flat share in London actually living with some friends from university who were all English after a Griffiths um, second free kick went in there was a lot of um, grandstanding from myself some some swearing I just got shown up to be an arsehole effectively <laughs> um, I think that's the most vivid one I think because it was quite an exciting game all the ones where we've lost quite comfortably I've sort of uh, just scratched from memory Jordan? I was similar to you Kieran in that I think I was about three days I'd just moved to London three days earlier um, for like, my first job in journalism so like, knew nobody and went to like the Three Kings pub to watch it um, which was a mistake I realised because it was like 95% English but um, I ended up watching it with a guy from, from Manchester who was like really friendly guy up until Lee Griffith scored <laughs> twice and he was just refusing to speak to me. Like I was jumping about mad and he was just refusing to speak to me. And then as soon as uh, uh, Harry Kane scored, he was like, oh, great game, mate. Well, that, was a, that was a great game. I was like, I don't think he'd have been saying that if um, I held on. But I guess that sort of um, sums up our generation sort of experiences of Scotland so far is that the most sort of iconic moment was um, sort of wiped it two minutes later. But... Um, no, it was, I mean, those, if you could bottle those 90 seconds, um, um, it, would be, it would be great. So um, I hopefully can do that again on Friday and just you know, concede a horrific goal in the last minute. Yeah, and Dom, it was uh, a, bit, a bit of Euro 96 vibes, I thought, on Sunday, England playing Croatia, obviously, at Wembley in, in the Euros again. And it's kind of going to be another Euro 96 vibe on Friday, isn't it, with, with the England-Scotland, kind of a, a rematch of that famous game? Yeah, again, I don't think the, the guys are going to appreciate this, <laughs> the reference back to Euro 96. <laughs> Even I'm uh, getting a bit bored of it. I've got, a di- I've, got, I've got a difficult job here. I've got a difficult job. I mean, we need a Scottish anchor in Charles for the second half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember watching that game as a student in, in France. Um, we were watching it in a pub in Lyon, and uh, we, it was probably 50-50 in terms of the... English and Scottish clientele that, that, that afternoon. Um, and, and what we shouldn't forget about that occasion was Scotland were by far the way the better team. We get dazzled by the the images of Gaza's goal um, because it was such a, a, a breathtaking a breathtaking goal. But, but you know, that should be a warning in many ways to England. If they go into this match thinking that they're that they're that, you know the better team and they should they should prevail quite e- easily. I mean that and the fact that and their last meeting that the two two that we the aforementioned two two, Scotland raised their game against England and and England get lulled into this complacency sometimes. It just, it sort of feels like, oh we, we'll 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 beat them we'll beat them we're we're ranked so much higher than them we're always at these major tournaments. Well it's a derby it's a frantic derby atmosphere in in, in these in these fixtures and if England aren't careful then they'll get suckered into it. And it was interesting that some of the, the tone from the from the press briefings this week and then and whenever the the, the Scotland game has cropped up it's almost like the players have, have the England players have made a point of saying we, we can't get sucked into the emotion of this occasion. We can't let that, that get on top of us because because we know that if we if that we allow that to happen, then that will almost be a leveller. That will that will allow Scotland to, to to get in our heads. Basically, they have to trust to themselves. They have to trust that they they have got the better 
ability, the better quality on the pitch and, and impose it that way. But I, I suspect there will be very awkward moments on Friday night as well for England. I don't think it will be a straightforward um, fixture in, by any stretch of the imagination. Kevin, have you taken anything positive from the Czech Republic game that you can take into that England game from a Scotland perspective? The way Che Adams changed the game when he, when he came on was quite encouraging um, because his... It's not. It's not just that he's a much faster than the other option, Lyndon Dykes, who's more of a orthodox target man in a sense. But he's also his decision making. Um, you know, he's always very one touch. He's always looking to uh, make runs off the shoulder, which adds a bit of unpredictability to Scotland's attack. And as, as John was saying, it was just so predictable on Monday. It's one thing to try and break down the Czechs, who were you know very compact. They were well organised as a defensive unit. It's going to be a different scenario against against England, but we, they are going to need that spontaneity um, that a player like Shea Adams can bring. And I'd, I'd, another thing that I was slightly encouraged by, I guess, was how effective having two very attack-minded wing-backs could be when James Forrest came on the last 15 minutes. Now, it's going to be a very different scenario facing England, obviously, because they're tougher opposition than the Czechs. And... Steve Clark, he's a risk-averse guy. He's probably not going to want to start a winger as a wing-back, as he did, um, as it, as he has done in the past and as he did in the final 15 minutes. But I did feel that it just added a different dimension to Scotland's attack. And if, you know, as John and I have sort of suggested, the big loss of feeling from Monday was a sense of missed opportunity, that it was such a big occasion that could have gone differently, had a few things, had the decision-making beforehand been been more ambitious so I, I feel like there were areas definitely that we can take encouragement from that we can say like we, we did this successfully it's sort of like um scrambling a bit for the <laughs> at the bottom of the barrel but I don't know whether that's just like uh natural dourness after how disappointing Monday was and maybe if we can reflect on it a bit more rationally with more time um, that may be different Kieran Tierney's not return not offer a positive as well I mean I mean I know we, we okay nominally a one of the defenders, but he the overloads potentially on that side with with Robertson, who was outstanding against the Czechs again. I mean, surely that 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 is a massive positive to cling to, isn't it? I know. I, th- I think it is. Um, obviously, it remains to be seen whether Tierney um, will make it or not. Because I know Clark was talking yesterday about how it's a calf injury, so it's it's quite delicate. But you know, if he comes in, then I think there is a lot more confidence in the back three because again, the system was. You know, primarily designed to fit in both he and Robertson, and it see it was awkward at the start, but the last four or five games together they've really um, dovetailed well, and it's got the best out of both of them. Um, I think that was probably Andy Robertson's best individual performance for Scotland the other day. Um, just played like a man possessed. I think already he set up six chances. Um, so again, his ability on the break when when the ball does break down um, was one of the the main positives, but. You know, Tierney coming in would be would be a, a massive advantage both for a defensive point of view and on the ball because, again, the, the big problem on Monday was that Cooper, Henry and Hanley, Hanley's a good game to be fair, but the two outside centre-backs just were so cautious and hesitant on the ball that it was just side to side, side to side and there was no literally no passes into the midfield. It was either back to the goalkeeper or long. So you really miss Tierney's driving runs in a way that he can play forward. So... That would be a massive boost. I think I agree with what Kieran said, but you know, as much as like I'm criticising that we went long, 
Scotland were still competitive, and that's the thing that Clark has definitely installed instilled in the team is that even going to England, I think, although it might have dampened it slightly on Monday, is that there's still a belief that we will make it difficult for England, and especially the people like John McGinn, Andy Robertson, McTominay, they're competitive players who will cope athletically against England, whereas in years gone by, I think there was always a massive gap between, look at these Premier League athletes, like, <laughs> built like, you know, Greek gods, and then there was Scottish, Scottish guys who were a bit, you know, they weren't those supreme athletes to compete with them, so I think that's, that's definitely changed now, but um, I think we need more ball players, because if we're, if we're going to sit back against England, which, you know, I expect we will, then we're going to need to be able to keep the ball and counter-attack, so you need pace and you need people who are comfortable in the ball, so I agree with Kieran that Che Adams has got to start, whether that's in a one or a two, I don't know, but I would like to see a Che Adams with maybe a Fraser, Ryan Fraser off him and have that counter-attacking threat, because if it's Lyndon Dykes and um, Christie again, and again, they're both players, but both, both, both good players who do different things, but I just don't see how that will suit us against England, so I do think we've got to get a better a bit more pace and a bit more comfort in midfield on the ball, whether that's Gilmore or, or McGregor. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This is the England Show from The Athletic. Keep up to date with all of our Euro 2020 podcasts and writing by following us at The Athletic UK. Kieran, what about Billy Gilmore? Because there's quite a clamour to get him in the side and he, he would offer something different. I, I read both of, you, of your pieces, really, really good read, reviewing the game and you kind of need someone like Gilmore to do what McTominay was doing because that doesn't really suit McTominay. It goes back to Clark's safety option. He went for physicality and, and McTominay and Armstrong, though Armstrong was a lot more... He, he drifted a lot to left to help Robertson out just to prevent Robertson from being marked out of the game. And obviously that was one of the things that worked against the Czechs. But in, in doing that and having those two players fulfil those roles, you are missing somebody who can, you know, who can collect the ball and dribble through the midfield before uh, playing a nice wee through ball uh, behind the defence. McGregor has never really starred for Scotland. I know that a lot of the uh, the Tartan army, um, plenty of them, aren't his biggest fan, but he does that job quite naturally. And I think Gilmore would also do that do that role as well. I think before the tournament, I was quite I understood Clark's right. We just need to give the jobs to the players we've got here. They are a well functioning unit. Um, I think I've changed my mind after after Monday and. I can definitely view Gilmore's case and also Nathan Patterson, the right wing back, as more as more as more credible now. The, yeah. the big thing is we got 
players like Patterson, Gilmore, and then David Turnbull as well. These are very exciting young players, but you know, only they only have one start between them um, for Scotland. I think it was Turnbull against Netherlands. Um, and as I thought this would be a transitional period from for the next for you know the World Cup qualifiers or for the next uh, Nations League, but. <laughs> They have ability and they have assets that would be really useful to Scotland now. So I sort of changed my mind on that. And I do think Gilmore's, you know, he is his elegance on the ball, his ability to control games, but also to pick very precise passes and to break through um, defensive lines, to, to pass through pressing, was really missing. You know, they couldn't ask for a starker contrast than McTominay. And I, I don't want to overly criticise McTominay because he was asked to do a role. He wasn't, you know, he's not... That's not his his function for Man United. It's not what he thrives at Man United. So I do I do think like a him midfield with him and Gilmore would be a lot more successful in that regard. Um, it's just whether <laughs> whether that leaves the back three if Tierney's not there because McTominay has been good in the back three for Scotland before. Talk about McTominay. Well, to put him back on like, I think something that has sort of been underplayed is just how big a mess Ryan Jack's been in the midfield for Scotland because. He's literally the only player they've got who is an actual sort of defensive player, defensive midfielder who can also dictate the play. And he had his best game for Scotland against Serbia in the playoffs. So if you have him in midfield, you can afford to drop McTominay back to right centre-back. But without Jack moving McTominay back to right centre-back, I just feel like we then don't have any physicality at all or, you know, in midfield... Because again, we're going to be on the back foot for most of the game, so like, we need players who can break up play. And although Gilmore is good at reading the game, you know, I'd, I'd be concerned about a midfielder, Gilmore, McGregor, you know, Armstrong, McGinn. McGinn's obviously physical, but there's not a natural sort of guy who's going to break break up play there. So I think that's a difficulty for Clark is that he might like to put McTominay at the back, but I'm not sure how he then gets the balance in midfield. So Jack's been a big miss in that, and obviously Kenny McLean's out as well, who is his deputy. So. It's been a difficult one there, but with Gilmore, I agree with Kieran. Is that everybody tries to make it into like a black and white argument about oh he's going for youth or he's going for experience? Like I can understand why he wanted to stick with Stephen O'Donnell, who everybody knows is is limited and is probably not international class. But to be fair to the guy, he has got he's stuck at the task and he's had quite a, f- a few steady games. Um, he has been you know his limitations have been shown up in terms of on the ball. But, you know, I don't think anybody was surprised by that performance on Monday, though, which is the thing which makes it frustrating that he did get played because Nathan Parsons only got 16 games for Rangers under his belt. So, again, he's inexperienced, but, you know, he's played against Celtic twice. He's played in, against Sparta Prague. You know, he's coped at those... It's Lava Prague, sorry. He's coped at those levels and he's shown that he's he's not phased by anything, really. You know, he came on <laughs> in the second half uh, a minute and he's... He's game against Slavia Prague and scored, so I wouldn't be phased about putting him in against England. But was the the flip side of that is that he's young and he could maybe be a bit rash. But I think there is more upside to playing him than continuing with O'Donnell at right back. But I, I think with Gilmore's case, you know, I think back to like the nineteen ninety nine game where at Wembley where Barry Ferguson was putting a, a terrific performance. He only had what five caps under his belt, was just turned to what he wanted. So. Barry Ferguson was probably underrated by people outside Scotland, but you know Gilmore, everybody speaks to, he's the best youth player to come through since Barry Ferguson. So we've got to be bold against England on Friday because you know if we don't, then it's you know it's going to be difficult to try and get through if there's three points against Croatia. It's looking unlikely then. So I, I, I would I would 
be keen to play Patterson and Gilmore. But I can see the case for somebody like Forrest or Fraser at right wing back. But again, we're going to be defending for most of the time. So Patterson probably is more of the orthodox, natural option there for, for Clark. So we'll see whether he goes with that or whether he sticks with Will Donald. But I think it would be an unpopular choice if he doesn't make more than two or three changes. Dom, from an England perspective, I guess before the game on Sunday, there was there was a clamour for, for fresher, younger faces, the less established players to start for England and Southgate went with that experience and it worked. Do you think he'll mix it up a bit for this game, bearing in mind it's, it's a different type of game? He might do. I'd be surprised if there weren't any changes. He has got so many options at his disposal um, and even with... With, certainly with the benefit of hindsight, but even at the time, there, w- there was a logic to, to a lot of the changes that he uh, he made for for that game. And, you know, you, you can look at the logic in putting an experienced left left back, albeit one that doesn't always play at left back, alongside Tyrone Mings, at, at, you know, in centre-half. I think Mings, is, that was his 11th cap. So he's not not the most experienced member of that, that England back line in the absence of Harry Maguire. Calvin Phillips in midfield as a sort of almost as a direct replacement for Jordan Henderson in many ways. Can't really see Henderson coming back for this fixture. Uh, I mean, obviously he, he'd love to be fit and available, but I, I think that's going to be a slow burner to get him back into some kind of rhythm. But Calvin Phillips retaining his place, there's a logic to that. And he's got that that physicality and that aggression and to his game. We saw some of the some of the niggly fouls that he put in yeah. on Sunday just to disrupt. Croatia's rhythm and to help ensure that they they could not counter at speed. So if, if you know if Scotland come to Wembley thinking that they can, that is going to be their biggest route to to hurting England with on the counter attack. Well, Phillips and Declan Rice etc. They know how to deal with that. So um, that that shouldn't be a shot to their system. I think they could mix up forward line slightly. I'm intrigued to see when when Jack Grealish is unleashed on this tournament. I think we're all really, really looking forward to that moment. I know you will be, Dan, in particular. The prospect of him possibly even playing instead, maybe instead of Phil Foden for this game. I mean, that that, that's, that, that I'm sure that would have been on Southgate's mind in the build-up, but it's really then just boils down to whether Grealish is fit and available after the shin problem and, and whether he, he can, can just come in and, and step into the team. I can't see England shedding either Kane or, or Sterling at the moment. So we've spoken there, Jordan's talking there about the, the, the options that Steve Clark's been denied. Look at all these options that Gareth Southgate has. It's staggering, really. We haven't even made... And Jaden Sancho didn't even make the blooming matchday squad. Ben Chilwell didn't make the matchday squad. I mean, these are you know, Champions League winning left-back. It's, it's frightening. It had to be the right balance. It's all about balance. It's all about structure and balance and making sure that there's a, there's a comfort to the way that they play. They cover all bases on that front. But I don't. I can't see England varying their their formation particularly. They might tweak things. Maybe it's time to play a left-footed left-back in the team. Maybe it's time to bring in a Shaw to bring more balance there. And and to make more inroads down, down that flank, you know, at pace, where you're not cutting back inside and bringing your crosses over with your right foot, but you can, you can put them across the face of goal. Let's get Harry Kane pinned up into the uh, opposition penalty box within the, you know, between the posts rather than dropping back into midfield and clogging everything up. I mean, I'd love to be in Gareth Southgate's position because he's just got so many, so many different things that he can do. I mean, I'd say it's an absolutely perfect game for Grealish, injury dependent. I think from the Scottish lad's point, point of view, I imagine he'd just really, really wind you up playing that game just because he gets fouled so much I feel for an occasion like that where him driving up against Scotland I think it would cause real problems I think it would add a nice little bit of spice yeah. to the match as well 
I don't know whether you guys fall in line with that. I know, I agree with you. He's definitely got that personality. You could imagine him coming into a game like that. I think he won it. Wales, he had a great game for England. Um, yeah. again, so, again, I could imagine him really sort of embracing that um, sort of occasion. Um, so, I, I mean, I was going to say I wouldn't mind if he keep him on the bench, but, uh, uh, you know, Dom's just ran through, ran through the other options. So, I'm not sure if that's a win or a lose situation. But, I mean, um, I obviously, like, you know, England have got so many options, but. I think there was a, a, a bit in the Croatia game where, you know, some of the, the weakness of England breaking teams down did come at the fore a wee bit, whether they've got the ba- the right balance in midfield. Um, so, again, I, I, you know, I wouldn't bet against Scotland being able to hold it, um, hold it against England for quite a while and hopefully be able to cause them some problems on the on the break. Because, again, sometimes I think England can be a bit, not pedestrian in possession, but it can be... A bit stale at times, considering the amount of options they've got. Sometimes it can be a wee bit too similar. So you know, if Scotland drop deep and defend the box well, then um, you know that's what we've been good at under Steve Clark. So I think that's going to be important from Scotland's perspective about what the back three is. Because if we're going to be deep, then and it's say Tierney is back, then you know Tierney and Hanley are probably going to start. But then who is the other one? Because obviously Jack Henry was partly culpable for that wonder goal against the Czechs. You know, somebody like Declan Gallagher's done really well for Scotland, so does he come in at the back and Hanley goes out to the right? You know, that's the real area that gives me a lot of concern for Scotland is that you just don't, <laughs> you really don't know who the three are going to be for game to game. And it, whatever the three is, is always a party that thinks mm, that's a bit of a weakness. But, I mean, the right-hand side definitely does feel like a weakness for Scotland. And there might be, it might have to be two changes there if it was Patterson and, say, Hanley on the right-hand side rather than O'Donnell and Henry. But, I mean, that would probably give me a bit more comfort if it was those two. But, I Dom's just rubbed it in how many options he's got. So, um. Wasn't intended. <laughs> Is there a logic in playing Billy Gilmore when he's could potentially be up against Mason Mount, his club mate, as well? I mean, yeah, I'll be you'll himself. know his yeah. game inside. Yeah, out. and then McGinn um, against Grealish as well. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, of course, Grealish and McGinn, very, very good friends. I think that will all go out the window on, on Friday. Just, just from reading your pieces as well, if Grealish was to play, just, just thinking out loud here, it's good when you're reading a piece and it falls in line with what you've thought when you've sat and watched the game because I, I would fancy Grealish and Sterling against O'Donnell. T- to be honest, I thought he looked uncomfortable for the in- entirety of the time he was on the pitch on uh, on Monday. So I think that would be something England fans could potentially like to say. Kieran, let's talk about John McGinn a bit. Grealish is good friend then. I... <laughs> He's had he's had a funny season for Villa because he's he's an exceptional footballer, such a unique footballer as well. But he's played a bit more deeper for Villa this season than he probably would have liked, rather more than being that box to box player that I think suits him the best. But for Scotland on Monday, I couldn't really work out what his role was. Can you can you just talk us through a little bit what what the game plan was with him? Since Clark's taken charge, a lot of the time he's played as a number ten. You know he's. Because Clark, he likes his midfielders incredibly hard working. Um, effectively, his two deepest central midfielders are number sixes. You know, all through the qualifying campaign, that's what Callum McGregor and Ryan Jack were doing. And then McGinn, you know, he, he's a very hard working guy. He's not the most, you know, he's not a <laughs> reclame or, or something like that. You know, he's he's a very hard working number ten who presses very aggressively. He does have a, an eye for a pass, and we know he's got a good shot on him as well. But he's not like the, your traditional play, playmaker. But he suited that with Clark, and he actually scored a load of goals as well. I think he's he ra- ra- seriously racked them up. On Monday, it was this weird thing that Clark's tried before, and it's never quite worked. I uh, I feel it's like a it's almost like a three four two one with two number tens, which is what Ryan Christie and John McGinn were doing. 
in turn, because you don't have O'Donnell, basically isn't you're not a traditional wing back. You have you don't have any pace there. Like Paul Christie, McGinn, and Lyndon Dykes' assets, they they're not like guys who will run off the shoulder or you know <laughs> sort of cause serious problems in terms of their movement. I feel like it doesn't it, that formation doesn't quite work. But when it is McGinn is the sole number 10, it works better. I think McGinn's actually played better in that role than he has a bit deeper for Scotland. I think it was the Austria game when it was him and McTominay and it just didn't quite work because their their positioning isn't brilliant in these sorts of scenarios because McGinn is always looking to make advanced runs and McTominay sort of hangs back a bit. It means the midfield is a bit open for exploitation, which is why someone like Ryan Jack is so useful because he can just clean up <laughs> clean up after them when McGinn and McTominay are doing their thing. But I think McGinn, you know, he's obviously a very, very key player. I think he had a quiet game on Monday, especially compared to, to Robertson. I think he might be a bit more central on, on Friday. I, I can't see them doing the uh, two number 10 formation again because it just didn't work. So I, I, would, I would be surprised if he isn't more the the top of a, a midfield triangle, uh, which was successful basically um, against the Netherlands and Luxembourg and then the March internationals as well. So I think the, well, I'm hopeful the uh, two number 10s in this lone striker system is uh, sort of uh, thrown to the wind. It's going to be a strange situation for me watching John McGinn and wanting him to not do well for the first time in, in my life. I'm going to find that a, re- a really strange thing to do. <laughs> Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is The England Show from The Athletic. Keep up to date with all of our Euro 2020 podcasts and writing by following us at The Athletic UK. I should say at this point, I've mentioned both your pieces off the back of the Czech Republic game. Both really, really good reads. If you do want to do some opposition scouting before the big game on Friday, then you can do it for the best ever price that The Athletic have given at the moment. You can subscribe for just £1 a month at the moment and you can read everything that's on The Athletic. All you've got to do is go to theathletic.com slash Pod to sign up now. Dom, Carl Anker on this podcast a fair number of times so far through, through, through this series. He's actually gone on record and labelled England as the baddies going into this game. Is that fair? <laughs> we can answer that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he went far enough for that, did he? Um, <laughs> look, it's, I can I can see why um, Scotland will consider that. I mean, the, the, the favourites are always the baddies, aren't they? I mean, isn't that isn't that the reality of it all? I mean, we all love the underdog, generally speaking. Yeah, I'd say. Winning and play Scotland. 
I, I suspect there are an awful lot of countries around the world and, and a lot of football nations around the world that when they play England consider us to be the baddies. Um, it's, it, it is what it is. But but um, I don't think that'll bother Southgate and, and his players one jot, to be honest. I actually think there's more... There's a better feeling um, and almost a... I know that the knee issue is, is, is there and there's obviously... There are there's a there's a minority out there that are disaffected by by the England team's stance on that, but but generally speaking, I think there's a lot more empathy w- between the the general public in this country in England and and the England football team now than than there has been in years. Um, I think they're actually quite a likable bunch of blokes, to be honest, and and I think Southgate is is a key part of that um, and everything that he's done really since the build-up to the 2018 World Cup and certainly the 2018 World Cup in, in Russia really opened, um, opening up the, the England squad and, and making them more accessible. And I mean, I, I was lucky enough to cover England at major tournaments from 2010 onwards and 2018 was completely different to everything else I'd ever experienced in, in terms of, and not just because the team actually did quite well, relatively well, just the mood around the place. It was upbeat, it was open you know the between the press and the and the team there wasn't this there weren't these barriers being flung down everywhere there were there was a it was there was more of a spirit about the place every, every in Rapinha and 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 St. Petersburg and wherever we traveled in Russia it was it it was it was good it was comfortable I think it would have continued in that vein had there not been a global pandemic in the years since I genuinely think that people look at the those young players in that England team and think they're good guys and they're likeable and 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 I'm not I'm not suggesting that there'll be any Scottish people out there that want them to do well but I think a lot of people that that would normally be averse to to uh, supporting in any way will look at some of those players and think yeah you know fair play to them that you know the likes of seeing Jude Bellingham do well do see Marcus Rashford do well and everything that he's done off the pitch quite nice uh, I was going to say Dom like just the point you made there like there's obviously the, like the sporting rivalry and the geography mm. which you know everybody buys into but like you know you've obviously got the political stuff which is obviously came into the fore whether it's Brexit or independence and that obviously feeds into the support but yeah like you know I'm maybe perhaps like Scotland I'm generalising here but if there was a feeling that Scotland's ideologically or politically different to England as a whole, then I think you look at the team, they're very much different for that sort of caricature, like, you know, whether it's Brexit England or a right-wing England, it's very much different. I think there is an affinity with the English players that are like Rashford that you mentioned. So I think it's, you know, Modric was talking about the arrogance of the English team, but I don't really think you can look at the team that England, the, the players per se and say that there is that anymore. As Don was saying, it's like the, the empathy and the shared empathy between both sides. You look at you, you know, you look at Rashford topping what the most uh, was it, his second, the second most generous millionaire in the UK or something. And John Henderson's also on that list, and the other people, their wealth is in like tens of billions. Um, and it just speaks to like the footballers that come from it. They they do come from a very empathetic background, and I think they can also get like, pigeonholed in a sense. Um, and you know, we've said it before; it's been said so many times. They're not like the thick, sheltered idiots. A lot of people portray them as a lot of the times. They've all, they've often had a large a large span of experiences uh, different to our own. And there are a lot of parallels with stuff like Andy Robertson has done. Uh, it's not on the same scale as what Marcus Rashford, but the the level of 
commitment he does to giving back to the local communities and everything like that. That I feel like there is a shared sort of generosity of spirit between the English players and the Scottish players in that way. And you saw it with their by Scotland reversing the decision, they were very explicit that they had conversations with you know their teammates in you know Liverpool, Man United, Southampton, etc. And it is just there is and naturally playing in the same league, it makes that a bit a bit easier. But they do stand for the same things and it, it is a as a fragment of the UK that maybe if we're feeling at our most downbeat, we sort of tend to ignore. But there is there is a sort of generosity and compassion there that I think is shining through. And this is, you know, if we're going to be encouraged by anything from Scotland this tournament, it is that the, the sense of leadership the likes of Robertson and, and Clark have shown on this issue. But we do still hope John McGinn lays one on Declan Rice in the first minute. So. <laughs> I, was, I was about to say that was a, a, a really nice chat and re- really nice to hear that, that, that yeah, I think both sides do share a lot of values I think both sides have some incredible human beings in there but saying all that Jordan, Kieran you're absolutely 100% want Scotland to get the better of England on Friday Jordan I'll come to you first though is it must win for Scotland? No, it's will win I think we're going to I'm predicting 2-1 um, che Adams and Ryan Fraser. Um, I, I, I've, I've got like I know like my. I mean, I wasn't feeling that a day ago, but um, you know, once you go through everything again, like you know, it was disappointing. But I don't feel like this team is going to cave to England. I don't. I genuinely don't feel like it could be a doing we get at Wembley, and maybe that will come back to haunt me. But um, you know, I do think we'll be competitive, and I do think we've got the players to to compete with England and causing problems. So I just hope that we pick enough for them to be a start on the pitch, that we actually get the chance to express ourselves and actually take the game to them at some point. Because if it is just sort of rope-a-dope tactics for a lot of the time, then you know, I think there's only so long we'll be able to hold it. I'm hopeful that we can get a result. And you know, I think a point, we need a point, I think, because you know beating Croatia is going to be hard enough. But if we can go in with a point and then get a win against Croatia, then... You know that would that would be enough, but um, we've made it difficult for ourselves. So you know we would have hoped to be going into this game with the pressure off, basically, and going as a free hit. But we now really do need to try and pick something up. So I hopefully have brushed it brushed it off. Um, what happened on Monday, and they're, they're ready to go. Well, I hope the producers already already clipped up your "We will win" just in case. <laughs> ready for ready for Saturday's podcast. Coming off my notifications, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kieran. I'm a pretty cynical person, so even even if I was going for like the most optimistic uh, angle, I'm going I'm going for one each. Why not? Uh, I think I think there will be. I think Scotland will score early, and it will be great. And then England will get one just before half time, and then it will just be an incredibly nervy 45 minutes. And returning Kieran Tierney puts in an indomitable performance at the back, and we get the draw. I was sli- one thing I was slightly encouraged by was how relatively mediocre Croatia were against England. I think they can take a heart from that and say that that is that is a winnable game if Scotland perform to the to their best. That is absolutely the big target. But if you want to ensure qualifying as one of the three, one of the four best third place teams. You do really, really need to get after that draw. So I'll, I'll, I'll be up for it uh, on, on on Friday, but we'll wait and see what it's like by ten o'clock. And Dom, to finish your your hopes and dreams ahead of Friday, <laughs> I, look, I think it will be fiercely contested. I think it will be tighter than a lot of people expect. Um, 
But I do think that with the resources that England have got, that they will edge it at the end and they'll probably nick it by the old goal. My final thoughts are, I'm happy for John McGinn to score as long as England win. I'll, I'll, I'll tie that. That's, that's what I'll be happy to say. Thanks ever so much to all of you for joining me today. Absolutely no baddies on this podcast at all. And I've really enjoyed chatting with you all. And yeah, everyone enjoyed the game. On, well, actually, not, not everyone enjoyed the game on Friday. Dom, enjoy the game on Friday. <laughs> So that's it. Mark Chapman back in the hot seat tomorrow with Lindsay Hooper and David Ornstein. They'll be building up more ahead of the game against Scotland on Friday. The Athletic.